morning, Iwu. Uh, my name is Dr. Ann Greeley, and <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> In addition to the teaching that I do at Iwu, I've been very privileged this year to direct a year-long grant project uh, that is funded by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. As I shared last uh, chapel in October, uh, in chapel last October, <laughs> this grant project is based on four core convictions about worship. Uh, the first is that worship is not merely intended to give glory and honor to God, but is a practice that has real potential to orient our love towards him and to shape us into imitators of Christ. In other words, worship is designed to powerfully transform who we are and what we do. It was towards this end that our special guest, Dr. Bruce Ellis Benson, encouraged us in chapel last fall to think of ourselves as living sacrificial works of art, as believers who respond to God's call by improvising with him and with one another. As he observed, we are God's works of art and we participate with God in our own process of spiritual development by living our lives liturgically in service to God and to our neighbors. The second conviction is that worship is not just what we do on Sunday mornings, as Jordan said earlier, uh, but is something that should continue throughout our day-to-day -day lives, extending to all of our thoughts, words, and actions. In short, worship is a lifestyle. It was with this in mind that our own campus intercessor, Dr. Lowe, spoke in the Globe Theater last uh, semester in a special lecture about the importance of practicing spiritual disciplines that can help shape us into more fervent lovers and imitators of Christ. This brings me to the third conviction. Uh, I've asked Dr. Lowe to speak this morning on a topic related to it. Uh, and this third conviction is that while our Christian faith must necessarily be personal, and while private devotion is an essential part of Christian life, we're also called to participate in the life of the church. We who live and work here at IWU have a unique opportunity to worship together in community in a way that reflects our shared participation as fellow members of the body of Christ. The spiritual discipline of prayer is one of the most vital elements in the faith walk of anyone who confesses Christ as Lord. God communicates with us through his word and we communicate with him through our prayers. While solitary prayer plays a fundamental role in maintaining our relationship with Christ, communal prayer strengthens that relationship and amplifies its significance by directing our thoughts to our role as constituents of one body, the millions of believers past and present who confessed Christ as Lord and count each other's as members of one great family. So I will leave you with that thought and turn things over to Dr. Lowe. Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, very good. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be looking in Psalm 5. So I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. I'm not going to read every verse. I'm going to be skipping around just a little bit. But Psalm 5, this is what it says. For the director of music for flutes, a Psalm of David. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. 
Surely, Lord, you blessed the righteous. You surrounded them with your favor as with a shield. Well, dear Father, this is my prayer, that these, your beloved, would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking, but my prayer is that they would see you speaking through me. Because if that doesn't take place, then everything that we do here, everything I say, really doesn't amount to very much. And I pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to know that at the end of my sharing with you, I'm going to be inviting you to connect with the God of power. In 2006, the directors of Fusion approached me on a Friday afternoon. They asked if I would consider being the keynote speaker for the last rally. I told them that I wanted to spend some time praying about it before I would give them an answer. And then I asked the question, can you tell me what is the theme going to be? In reply, one of the directors said, it's going to be P-U-S-H. It's going to be push, push until something happens. Well, I didn't say anything at that moment. But in my heart, I felt uncomfortable with the theme that had just been presented to me. On Monday, the two directors again came to my office. Hey, Umfundisi, what have you decided? Well, I'll be happy and honored to speak if you will allow me to make a slight change in the theme. That instead of speaking about pushing until something happens, let me speak about praying until something happens. You see, dear ones, the greatest privilege that God gives us as Christians really is, I believe, the freedom to approach him at any time. We are not only authorized to speak to him, but dear ones, we are invited to speak to him. We are not only permitted, but we are expected. You see, one of the things that I hope that you have realized concerning your spiritual walk is that all prayer is an approach to the throne of God. It is not meant to be casual. It is not meant to be a trivial act. But instead, we need to see prayer as an amazing privilege. I envision prayer as God stooping down, permitting you and me the opportunity to have a deep and sweet fellowship time with him. But I wonder if you and I fully comprehend the privilege that has been given to us. At a youth camp I spoke at a few years ago, those who were going to be on the platform would gather together to pray before each service. During these moments, each person who was in a circle of prayer was anointed with oil as a reminder that none of us should be helping to lead worship without depending upon the Holy Spirit of God. And then after a season of prayer, the group then would shout out together in unison, we get to do this. Well, dear ones, we get to. We get to serve God. We get to come and worship Emmanuel, and we get to pray. You see, dear ones, I like what J. Hudson Taylor wrote. We desire men and women who believe in eternity and live for it. And why do they live for eternity? Because they understand the privileges that have been given to them. More than ever, I truly sense that God is wanting to raise up an army, an army of Christian young people, an army of Christian young adults, an army of older people who have a passion to see their communities, to see this nation, to see this world become on fire for God. God is looking for pushers, Christians who understand the privilege given to them and therefore are willing to pray until something happens. He desires believers who are driven to their knees because they have gotten a glimpse of the burden that God has, that God carries for us and carries for this world. God wants passionate, praying believers who are not apathetic towards the things of God. God, he is looking for pushers. 
Well, this morning, I'd like to share two simple truths about prayer that reflects my journey, my story, in beginning to understand the importance of the spiritual discipline of prayer. The first thing I want to share with you that I had to learn was that through prayer, you and I have power, the power of miracles at our disposal. In 1987, I was given an article to read. And so I'm going to come along and actually read the whole article to you. In fact, I have this article in one of my files, and I take it out on a regular basis when my desire to pray begins to falter, reminding me once again about the importance of prayer. I want you to listen to Ken Gaub, the author of the article. I want you to listen to his own words. This is what he writes. I was driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio with my wife and children. We turned off the highway for a rest and refreshment stop. My wife Barbara and children, they went into the restaurant. Since I felt a need to stretch my legs, I waved them off saying that I would join them later. I went and bought myself a drink. And as I walked towards a Dairy Queen, feelings of self-pity enshrouded my mind. I felt drained and I felt burdened. My cup was empty. And so I cried out, God, even a preacher needs for you to let him know once in a while that you're aware of him. The sudden ringing of a telephone jarred me out of my doldrums. It was coming from a telephone booth at a service station at the corner. Wasn't anyone going to answer that phone? Wasn't anyone going to answer it? Come on, someone please answer it. I began reasoning. It may be important. What if it's an emergency? Curiosity overcame my indifference. I stepped inside the booth and picked up the phone. Hello? I said casually and took a big sip of my drink. The operator said, long distance call for Ken Galb. My eyes widened and I almost choked on a chunk of ice. Swallowing hard, I said, you're crazy. Then realizing I shouldn't speak to an operator like that, I added, this can't be. Then again, I heard the voice on the other side, is Ken Galb there? I have a long distance call for him. It took a moment to gain control of my babbling, but I finally replied, yes, he's here. Searching for a possible explanation, I wondered if I could possibly be on candid camera. The operator again asked, is Mr. Galb there or isn't he there? Well, yes, I'm Ken Galb, I said finally, convinced by the tone of the voice that the call was real. And then I heard another voice say, yes, that's him, operator, that's Ken Galb. I listened dumbfounded to a strange voice identifying herself. I'm Millie from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, Mr. Galb, but I'm desperate. Please help me. Well, what can I do for you? She began weeping. Finally, she regained control and continued. I was about to commit suicide, and I had just finished writing a note when I began to pray. And then I suddenly remembered seeing you on television, and I thought to myself, if I could just talk to you, maybe you could help me. I knew that was impossible because I didn't know how to reach you. I didn't know anyone who could help me find you. And then some numbers came to my mind, and I scribbled them down. At this point, Millie began weeping again, and I prayed silently for wisdom to help her. She continued on. I looked at the numbers, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had a miracle from God, and he would give me Ken's phone number? I decided to try calling the numbers that I had scribbled down. Well, I can't believe that I'm talking to you. Are you in your office in California? I replied, lady, 
I don't have an office in California. My office is in Yakima, Washington. A little surprised, she asked, oh, really? Then where are you? Well, don't you know I responded? You're the one that made the call. She explained, but I don't even know what area I'm calling. I just dialed the number that I had on this piece of paper. Well, ma'am, you won't believe this, but I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. I began to counsel the woman as she told me of her despair and frustration. The presence of the Holy Spirit flooded the phone booth, giving me words of wisdom beyond my own ability. And in a matter of moments, she prayed a sinner's prayer and met the one who would lead her out of her situation into a brand new life. I walked away from that telephone booth with an electrifying sense that our Heavenly Father, He is concerned for each one of His children. What are the astronomical odds of something like this happening? With all the millions of phones and innumerable combinations of numbers, only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to call that number in that phone booth at that moment. Forgetting my drink, I nearly burst with exhilaration. I headed back to my family, wondering if they would believe my story. Maybe I had better not tell them, I thought, but I couldn't contain it. Barb? You won't believe this, but God knows where I am. Well, dear ones, I want you to know, I have a feeling that there are some of you in this room right now wondering if God knows where you are. And I want you to know, he does know where you are. Well, listen to the following testimony of what happened to Father Rick Thomas when he and a group called the Lord's Food Bank carried food over the El Paso, Texas border into a jail in a nearby town in Mexico. Based on previous visits and trips to the jail, they prepared enough food for 75 men, four pans of bread pudding, with each pan containing about 20 to 25 servings, a large pot of lemonade, as well as some lentils and chili. But much to their surprise, there were more than 75 men in the jail that day. As the inmates began streaming out from the first cell, it seemed as if the line would never, ever end. They came and they came and they were piling their plates high with bread pudding and all the other trimmings. Would there be enough food? According to the jail officials, there were 170 men just in that first cell. And then the second cell door was opened and more men began to come out to be served. Over 250 men were served that day, even though the food prepared for was only supposed to feed 75 individuals. Well, Father Thomas testified, and shared these words. When we saw the challenge that was before us, we gathered together and we prayed, and God began to multiply the food. And towards the end, some of the volunteers, they started carrying food for second and third helpings to all the prisoners who wanted more. They even began feeding the administrators and the guards. The prisoners were overwhelmed. God's sovereignty performed a powerful miracle. Well, listen again to Father Thomas again. I felt the Lord breaking the power of Satan. You've never seen people praise God like they did that day. We were beside ourselves with joy. There was dancing. There was praising God with great joy that day. Can I share, dear ones? I serve a God of power. Well, for years, I had read about how others were seeing answers to their prayers, and I yearned for the same thing to happen when I prayed. I shared my frustration with a missionary friend. Why am I not seeing answers to my prayers? I used to see them, I told him. I remember God answering prayers when I first became a believer. In fact, I remember the first big thing that God answered prayers for me that caused me to want to accept him as my own personal savior. 
I was ready to go to Knox College. I was told that in order to go to Knox College, I needed $3,000-some dollars and 87 cents for my tuition. My parents came along and stated there's no ways that they were going to pay for that. I wasn't a Christian. I was walking towards my work one day to a place called the Pink Ice Cream Parlor. My job at the Pink Ice Cream Parlor was to do dishes as well as to pick up the garbage on a, on a, on a parking lot. As I was walking to the pink ice cream parlor, I came and said, God, if you really want me to accept you as Savior, you're going to have to give me a sign that you're going to take care of the 3000 some dollars and 87 cents. I got to the parking lot, began picking it up, and as I was picking it up, I got it all cleaned up. I was going back into the pink ice cream parlor building, and as I was going there, this is what I said. Ha-ha, you really aren't there because there's nothing, no answer at all. And once I said that, I felt the presence come down upon me, and the presence almost seemed to say, turn around. And as I turned around, I noticed in the right-hand corner of the parking lot, off of the pink ice cream parlor property, a stack of newspaper. This is my thought. That's not on my property. I'm not going to go look at it. The voice, the feeling said, no, go pick it up. I went to the back, picked up the newspaper. As I picked it up, there underneath it was a crisp $1 bill. I came along and said, well, God, I asked for $3,000.87. His reply went something like this. You didn't say I had to give it all at once. You said, give me a sign. Well, I want you to know. My God, at the end of the year, when I decided to transfer from Knox College, I had to go to the business office, went up there, asked the question, how much do I owe? This is what they said, 3000 some dollars, and I remember this, 87 cents has come in for you. I serve a great God. Amen. But for five years, though, my prayer life seemed to be unproductive. For five years, I was going through the motions of praying, but without really connecting with God. And so my missionary friend then asked me the question, do you really believe that God can answer prayers? Do you believe that God is powerful enough to do so? And then it hit me. I knew God as a God of love. But him being a God of power, I had put this reality back in the recesses of my mind. In my head, I knew that he was powerful, but in my heart, I doubted that. And then I decided that I needed to lay my doubt at the foot of the cross, asking God to help me to recognize how powerful he really is. And then I want you to know that a few weeks later, God came along and did a wonderful miracle that caused me once again to realize I serve a mighty God. I share this in many of my classes, but I was teaching a New Testament survey class. One of the things I do often in classes, I like going around, talking to the students before we actually begin Went into my New Testament survey class. As I went inside there, there was a gal by the name of Sarah. Sarah looked at me and said, Umfundisi, will you please pray for me? Why do I need to pray for you? Because I'm going to the doctors tomorrow. I can't hear very well. And every week it's getting worse. And because of that, my grades are suffering. And so tomorrow on Saturday, I'm going to be going to the doctor for them to examine my ear. I said, sure, we'll pray for you. The class gathered around her. Then I said a prayer that went like this, dear father, we're not here to force you to do anything because you're sovereign God. But if you see fit to do a miracle in Sarah's life as a great healer, will you please do it? And we will give you all the praise. The class continued on. Monday came. One of the things I like to do sometimes when people give me a prayer request, I'll come and say, hey, tell me, how has God answered that prayer request? And then I went to Sarah. Sarah said, hey, do you mind if I share with the whole class? The whole class gathered in. Sarah gets in front of the class. She tells this testimony. She said on Saturday, she went into the, to the doctors with her mom. The doctor brought her into the office, the examining room. The doctor came along, took out the funny gizmo that has a light on it, and stuck it in her ear, came along, began taking 
checking it out. And then he says, Sarah, I know exactly what the problem is. What's happening is, is that you have a growth inside your ear canal. And as that, ear, as that growth is getting bigger and bigger, you need to know that's what's causing you not to be able to hear. He said, let me look at it again to make sure I'm saying that right. He again put it in the ear. Sarah now makes a comment, a commentary. She says, you need to know my doctor is not a Christian. Then she goes back to the story. She said, the doctor came along, put it in my ear, and came along, began talking, and then he was taking it out, and as he was taking it out, Sarah said, he stuck it back in my ear, and he said, Sarah, I don't know what's happening, but you need to know that growth in your ear, it is disappearing right before my eye. Dear ones, I serve a God of power. (laughs) Through prayer, you and I, we also secondly have the power to cooperate with God in community, because the Bible comes along in states where two or three are gathered together, that he will be in the midst of them. I want you to travel with me to Cambodia. That when the communists took over the country, hundreds of thousands of Cambodians fled to the refugee camps across the border in Thailand. Those who did not make it, where they were brutally murdered by the Khmer Rouge communist soldiers. Among a group of about 100 Cambodians who were trying to make their way to the Thailand border, there was a 19-year-old girl by the name of Kamput. For several days, the fleeing group was able to elude the communist patrols. And they were just a few hours away from getting to the border, which would have meant safety for them. But between the group and freedom lay a dense jungle valley, thickly covered with thorns. And the thorns were around three inches in length. Darkness was falling. And being that most were barefooted, they had to make camp. No sooner did they settle down than their sentinels heard the noises of a communist patrol coming their way. But but by then it was pitch dark with no moon or stars at all. They were trapped. But suddenly they looked. And as they looked, they saw an eerie glow. Hundreds, thousands of fireflies appeared in their camp. And a strange man was surrounded by their light. The men with the fireflies, they motioned for the group then, he motioned for them to follow him and said, he actually used the words in the Khmer language, come follow me. And he led them down the path through the thorns to eventual safety in Thailand. Well, some days later, Kamput was walking around a refugee camp. As she was walking, she heard some singing which was coming from a makeshift building. Well, being very curious, she walked towards the structure and entered into it. And she looked around, her eyes again, her eyes got big, and she pointed to the picture on the wall and she exclaimed out loud, I know that man. He's the one who came with the fireflies and led us through the jungle to freedom. Kamput was pointing to the picture of Jesus Christ. The secret of Kamput and others' escape, the prayer of faithful Christians who were praying in community. Kamput was to learn later that a group of Christians in a refugee camp met daily to pray, asking God to help those who were trying to escape from war-torn Cambodia so that they would have the opportunity to hear God's good news of salvation. You see, prayer is not just meant to be lifted up to make my life comfortable, not just to make my life easier, but it's meant to touch the lives of others. It is meant for us to be able to cooperate with God in ministry to those in need around us. A year ago, as some of you in my classes know, the church called the Parkview Wesleyan Church in Chesterfield, Indiana, they asked if I would serve as their pastor. As their pastor, I have sought to help them to see their role in regards to the Great Commission. And so for this reason, Monday nights have become visitation nights. 
with the first Monday of the month being our time to prayer walk the community, asking God to open up opportunities for us to then be able to share the gospel message. January 28, on a cold, freeze-drizzling Monday night, Mike, Nancy, and I knocked on the door of Cody's house. After a time of friendly fellowship, I asked him about his soul. His reply went like this, you need to know, I'm not sure where I am spiritually. Something seems to be missing in my life. That opened up the door for us to share the gospel plan with him. And that night, Cody became a child of God. As we were leaving, he shared these words with us. All day long, I sensed that someone was going to be visiting me and tell me how I could get on the right track. February 11, a cold Monday evening. Mike and Nancy, once again, on that, that Monday, we went out, we shared. And they came along and shared with me that they felt that we needed to go visit a lady by the name of Sandy. As we were leaving Sandy's home, after she had prayed the sinner's prayer, invited, inviting God into her life, Sandy shared, just today I was telling my daughter that I needed to change, but I didn't know how. I was hoping that someone would show up tonight at my house to tell me, and here you are. Dear ones, I believe that God was doing his work in Chesterfield. This Monday, Mike and I, we were again, we went out visiting. After visiting three homes with little visible results, Mike said, perhaps we should call it a night. At first, I was in agreement with him, after, but after driving a few blocks, heading back to the church, I sensed that God wasn't done with us yet. I came and looked at Mike, and I said, I feel that we need to go visit Billy. When we got to Billy's home, after some small talk, we asked if we could tell him how he could have the assurance of eternal life and how he could know that his spirit would go to heaven. The nod of his head opened up the door for us to be able to share with him God's salvation. And that night, Billy became a child of God. In the past year at Chesterfield, I believe because of people understanding the importance and power of God that is appropriated through prayer, we have seen 30 individuals come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a direct result of the prayers, I believe, that are being lifted up. God's power is released through prayer. Jim Elliott comes along and states, the saint who advances on his knees never retreats. You see, it's easy to hear about prayer. It's easy to talk about prayer. It's easy to discuss the benefits of prayer. But the reality is this. Prayer is work. It's holy work. It's fervent work. It's a privileged work. It is the work of pushers, pushers who have the following attitudes as they approach God. That number one, pushers are optimistic. Listen to the introduction of Psalm 5 for the director of music for flutes. Now notice, it was for flutes and not for oboes. The sound of oboes, even though I think oboes are nice, the sound of oboes, it's very mournful. But the sound of flutes, it's positive, it's bright, it's optimistic. Dear ones, we can be optimistic if we're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, pushers are focused. The psalmist's prayers are directed to God. This is evident by the number of times that David refers to God in his short psalm. Look at verse 1, O Lord. Verse 2, my king and my God. Verse 3, O Lord. Verse 4, God. Verse 6, the Lord. Verse 8, O Lord. Verse 10, O God. Verse 12, O Lord. At least nine times in this short psalm, David directs his prayers to Almighty God. Matthew Henry wrote, as a marksman directs his arrow to the target with such a fixedness and steadiness of mind, should we address ourselves to God? 
All our prayers must be directed to God. His honor and glory must be aimed at as our highest end in all of our prayers. Number three, pushers. They are expectant. Look at verse number three. Morning by morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. Morning by morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation, believing that God is able to answer prayers. Number four, pushers are humble. Look at verse 5. David wrote, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. The implication is so clear. David's approach to God was not for an attitude of arrogance, but one of humility. Because he recognizes all of us, we are weaklings. But we serve a great God and a strong God. Number five, pushers, they are in awe with God. David writes about bowing down in reverence to God, the humble position of one who is amazed at him. And number six, pushers, they are joyful. Look at verse 11. For those who take refuge in God will have inward gladness, which will then flow forth with outward joy. And then, lastly, pushers, they are confident in verse 12. For with certainty, David prayed, surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor. From the first pages of Genesis to the last words of Revelation, throughout the entire Bible, we see scriptural evidence that God wants us to be praying. Prayers lifted up to God have won victories. And dear ones, I believe that the God of the Old Testament and the God that we read in the New Testament, he is our God as well. This is what I, I want to give you an invitation. I believe that there are some of you inside this room that you really need to see God's power working inside your life. I think there are many of you inside this room that you understand that God is a God of love, but I have a feeling that there are many of you inside this room that you understand he does love you, but you haven't really appropriated his power through prayer. The worship team is up here. They're going to play a song. I've asked my students in one of my classes called Ministry in Context, where we've been talking about God's power, if they would come to the front here, and if they wouldn't mind then, I said, if you want to come up here, they will be up here that they will pray. They will lay hands on you and pray with you. If some of you would like to come on up here and write down what your big need is, what your big prayer needs to be, we invite you to write them on these three-by-five cards. And I want you to know, if you write on these cards, I will take them and I will pray over them. But dear ones, you need to understand, I recognize that this is one aspect of prayer. But the aspect of prayer that I wanted to focus on this morning is this. I serve a powerful God. And if God is able to do things for me, can I share, God is able to do things for you as well. So will you do me a favor? Will you stand up? And if God is speaking to you to say, hey, you need to have greater faith in believing that I truly am a God of power, that you can appropriate my power through prayer, I invite you to come forward for a season of prayer as the worship team is leading us in song. Be obedient to the nudge of the Holy Spirit.